Welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You tickle is more good. Hey, boy! Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the 2019 college football season. It is very good to be back. This is Scoop and Score's... At this point, it's like the medical redshirt year. We're in the sixth season, if you can believe that, of the Scoop and Score podcast. And I think no matter what happens this year, uh, we will have exhausted all eligibility. Uh, as, as we have, uh, you know, week zero coming up uh, this, this coming Saturday with some legitimate games, including uh, Miami playing against Florida. Uh, I wanted to get into some conference previews uh, sometime next week. Uh, we'll be taking a look at the Big Ten. I'll also be providing my views on Notre Dame and giving an overview of the entire season, what I expect for the major bowls, the playoff, uh, who should we expect to see in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, things like that. But this week, we are going to focus on the ACC. Uh, going to have several guests on the show to talk about their alma maters to give us more of an in-depth look at uh, some various schools in the ACC. Uh, before we get into those interviews, I just want to uh, say that Rent Like a Champion is a great uh, place to go if you're going to a college football game and want to rent a house. Uh, it's you know better than staying at a hotel, um, and and you know Rent Like a Champion more so than than other competitors. Uh, really focuses on college towns. So if you're if you're going to a college football game and you want to rent a house, go to rentlikeachampion.com. Uh, we've restructured our agreement. I'm not sure if promo code SCOOP still does anything, but it might. So feel free to type in promo code SCOOP and get yourselves $25 off on your booking. Great to have solidified our wonderful relationship with the good people of Rent Like a Champion. And now without further ado, let's get into some interviews. Uh, with me right now, I've got uh, producer Matt Gurren coming out from behind the glass. Uh, you know, usually usually just a, an observer of this podcast now comes to this side of the microphone. Matt, welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Glad to be here. So, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, they're, they're a team that... They seem to have one big upset in them each year. They've they've been teetering on, you know, being being decent uh, with Pat Narduzzi. Uh, what do we need to know about the 2019 Pitt Panthers football team in terms of what did they lose uh, from last year and and what key players do they have coming back? Yeah, I mean, I think as you said, it's definitely a pivotal year for Pat Narduzzi. His fourth season with the Panthers. I think he's had pretty middling seasons with varying success so far. Um, you know, they lost 2,000-yard rushers, uh, which is always going to be tough to replace. I think there are a lot more questions on the offensive side of the ball as opposed to the defense. This should be one of the better defensive groups that Narduzzi's had in his tenure. I mean, I think people year over year always say that, you know, he's getting more of his people into the system, more of his own players into the system. So I think at this point, you know, he really doesn't have many excuses left in terms of not having an adequate defense. 
Um, in, in addition to the two running backs that we lost, we also lost four out of five uh, starting offensive linemen. So they're going to be looking to replace a pretty significant portion of the offensive line, which really should not help the quarterback and the running back, both of which are pretty big areas of concern. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say that's the high-level overview. I mean, they also have a new offensive coordinator. They got rid of Sean Watson at the end of last year, brought in Mark Whipple. So, I mean, I also think there's definitely going to be some sort of learning curve there with learning the offense and getting all those plays installed. Now, is Kenny Pickett still the quarterback? He is still scheduled to be the keeping uh, Keeping the Pittsburgh tradition of, of players with unfortunate last names, uh, given their tradi- uh, position. Um, yeah, so you mentioned the, the weak offensive line. Um, you know, that, that's certainly a concern. And, and replace who's replacing Quadriolison uh, there at, at the running back spot? Um, so they have a couple of people who could potentially replace him. They have two four-star guys. One is A.J. Davis, who he uh, played as a true freshman and a sophomore. He didn't really get that many carries last year. But in the limited time that he's played, he has been pretty impressive. So I think he definitely has uh, some potential to step in and do pretty well. Uh, we also have a kid named Michael Salahuddin, a.k.a. Houdini. Uh, who was a four-star recruit. Uh, from everything that's come out of camp, he's been pretty promising, and he's uh, been doing pretty well. So I guess we'll end up seeing what he does this season as well. Now, taking over to defense, which is Narduzzi's specialty, um, I, I see here that uh, defensive end Rashad Weaver uh, is, is out for the season. Is there anyone that can step in and and replace him or, or at least be a stand-in to, to put some pressure on opposing quarterbacks? Or is this, uh, is this potentially just a, a huge loss? I think this is a pretty big loss for the Pitt defense. I think um, the defense as a whole is pretty deep, but this is the one area where they really couldn't afford to lose a player. I think the uh, one player behind him is a redshirt uh, sophomore right now. It really doesn't have much experience. Uh, so I think this is definitely a big blow for Pittsburgh. They really don't have much depth on this uh, side of the ball. And... Uh, really going to not have much pressure on the quarterback, it seems like. Yeah, and as I've, as we've seen in recent years with uh, with Clemson's dominance last year and, and what Alabama has done uh, in recent years as well, I think we're at a point in college football where aside from quarterback, there's no position that's more important uh, than the defensive line and being able to just wreak havoc uh, on an opposing uh, backfield. So that's, that's certainly uh, an area of concern if, if they're not able to uh, replace the production uh, that that Weaver will have uh, the hole that he will have left, and and allowing is Demar Hamlin still there? Demar Hamlin is there. Yeah, I mean, allowing allowing secondary guys like that to to make plays, you know, it just makes everyone better if there's uh, if there's a significant pass rush. So that's obviously uh, sounds like that's going to be a major loss and something to keep our eye on. Now, as we move into the 2019 schedule, I just want to run down the schedule here and. Uh, after we go through it, I'll, I'll give you a chance to uh, go into a little more detail. But as I go through each game here, I'm just going to ask for one word, win or loss, uh, without any explanation. And, and we'll see where we come out uh, through 12 games. So uh, game one uh, versus Virginia, the, the darling of the ACC uh, in the eyes of the media. What do you got? Win. Uh, versus Ohio. Win. At Penn State. Loss. Versus Central Florida. Loss. Versus Delaware. Win. At Duke. Win. At Syracuse. Win. Versus Miami. Loss. At Georgia Tech. Win. Versus North Carolina. Win. At Virginia Tech. Loss. And versus Boston College. Win. 
So you have the Pitt Panthers going eight and four, if my math was correct. I'm pulling up my spreadsheet here. We have very I, I've got them at five and seven. So this is a pretty big discrepancy um, right off the bat here. Um, so, I mean, I guess a lot will hinge on, on that UVA game right off the bat, which uh, I, I haven't seen a line on it just yet. Let me, uh, you know, just real time here. Let's see if we do have a line on that, uh, on that game. I'm seeing Virginia minus three. So it would be a small upset if Pitt were to do it, but would certainly get, uh, certainly get the season off on the right foot. Anything else uh, in terms of, you know, big picture thoughts about, uh, about that schedule and, and where you expect, uh, you know, big wins or, or tough losses. I mean, going to Syracuse would certainly, uh, be a good win where, uh, what, what, what makes you believe that, uh, that you can that 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 Pitt could be the winner there. I just know that uh, coming up later in the show, we have someone who who might uh, have a different opinion of, of the outcome of that game. Um, I mean, there's no doubt I'm taking the optimist view on this. Um, I do think that the offense is going to be better than people are giving them credit. I think uh, Kenny Pickett having a full season under his belt is definitely going to help out, despite uh, the offensive line concerns. Um, and I do think that they're going to be able to run the ball. I also think that the element of having a new coordinator will probably help them in terms of the Virginia game because I know in, in past years when they have a new coordinator, they tend to unveil like, you know, crazy trick plays and stuff like that. So I think the element of surprise might work to their favor in that first game. That's a good point. And I'm really just, uh, you know, banking on the offense being better because I do think this is going to be one of the better defensive groups that Pitt's had in a while. All right. Well, that's a uh, pretty comprehensive look at what to expect for the 2019 Pitt Panthers. Matt, thank you for uh, joining the Scoop and Score podcast. Happy to be here. Okay, I'm joined now by Mikey Lazarus, graduate of the University of Miami, although I'm not sure I'm allowed to say the University of Anything anymore. Uh, Mikey, thank you for joining me on the Scoop and Score podcast. Thanks for having me. Really excited for another season of the Scoop and Score. Great. Well, I, I, hope, I hope all the listeners are excited. I'm excited. Uh, uh, you're here today to talk about the Miami Hurricanes, uh, part of this ACC preview. They should be uh, one of the one of the contenders in the coastal, and and maybe well, I don't know if anyone's a contender um, against Clemson, but uh, but they should they should have a good season. But you're here to tell us more about what we should be thinking. Uh, let's start with the quarterback position, since news uh, came out recently that Jaron Williams uh, was named the starter. Now he he hasn't really played much at all, right? Correct. Yeah, he has. I think maybe seven attempts in, in some map up duty. Okay. And what what's your take on on him being named over uh, Nikosi Perry and Tate Martell? Obviously, we we haven't seen Tate Martell really play uh, in any in any live action, uh, but saw a fair amount of Perry last year. Sure. So I kind of took the approach of I I trusted what whatever the coaches decided on. So I was rooting for for Tate to win. But I trust that um, that between Manny Diaz and, and new offensive coordinator Dan Enos, that they, they chose the guy that they wanted um, and the guy that makes sense sense for the system. Um, kind of among my friends, it was a surprise since since the since it's been announced, it, it, some things have gotten out um, that that say that people within the program kind of knew it was going to be Jaron all along. I think um, that didn't quite reach the the blog sites that I follow, but um, 
But yeah, just an interesting point there. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about an, you know a new offensive coordinator, and Miami had an interesting offseason with uh, with Mark Rick deciding to to leave and. And uh, D has left for Temple, but then came back and took this job. Is there anyone? Is there anyone on the offensive side of the ball uh, from a coaching uh, standpoint that that returned with Diaz? No, he he completely uh, cleaned house, which which was important. Um, I mean, we our offense was atrocious. It's been really bad. Uh, Rick's son, uh, John Rick, was the was the quarterback's coach and, and, and play caller towards the end of the year, and he didn't really have any um, any pass experience and, and didn't really deserve that role. So I think I think Diaz did, a, did the right thing to kind of clean house, and I think it was um, I think it was kind of ballsy of him uh, to do that and to come in and just kind of kind of announce, hey, I'm in charge now, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, but I mean, we lost to Virginia and Duke last year in in two games where we didn't uh, where. We, we didn't eclipse 20 points, um, and our defense just continually did what they had to do, and offense just didn't, didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah, I see that mentioning Virginia and Duke. That's part of a four-game losing streak, scores of 13, 14, 12, and 21 in that four-game losing streak, and, and that makes sense because if, if the offensive staff is still there, you know, that's the kind of situation where you might stick with the incumbent starter. Uh, certainly see that a lot through college football, and it takes – uh, it takes a couple games and probably even a loss before the coaching staff is willing to make a switch. So probably a good situation there for Miami to come in with a new staff and, and look at it through a fresh set of eyes and, and choose who they determined uh, to be the best quarterback. Um, just overall for the rest of the roster, what sort of uh, what are the key losses uh, from from last year and and who who could be replacing them and, and who should really kind of be stepping up to carry the load this season? Yeah. So from to stay on the offensive side of the ball, um, from a receiver standpoint, things are, things are, are really positive. Um, returning our, our two stud tight ends, uh, most notably Brevin Jordan. Um, and then from a receiving standpoint, Jeff Thomas, um, who showed some real signs last year, he was supposed to leave the team. He ended up coming back. Um, and then we actually have a, uh, a fifth-year senior transfer, K.J. Osborne from Buffalo, who was an all all NAC performer last year. He's made it clear that he's come to Miami to kind of propel him to uh, to the NFL. So he's come in and just like head down, great route runner. Um, all, all all reports really good from a receiving standpoint. Running back, um, everyone's returning um, outside of Travis Homer, but he he kind of. He was a solid player, but really not a difference maker. So really excited about DJ Dallas and, and Cameron Davis uh, over there. Uh, the offensive line, we we didn't have a good offensive line last year, so it's not necessarily who we lost. It's just the sense, it's just the fact that um, generally with with offensive line, you just want some consistency, and we're we're lacking there. We have two starters returning. Um, we have um, we we did res- we did get a good junior college transfer. Um, however. Um, May started to freshman at, at left tackle, so two really good guys, and then it's a lot of question marks, which is not something that you'd want want going into Florida. Um, and then I'll to, to run on the defensive side a little a little more quickly. Uh, we return our, our three um, three linebackers who have started every game since their freshman year. They're now our seniors, so that's that's really exciting and, and just a great group. Um, in the back in the in the backfield, we have uh, two new two new safeties. Um, 
which is tough, but all, all I'm excited about them. It's a lack of experience, but I trust both of them in, in Gervin Hall and Amari Carter. On the outside, we have one returning uh, corner, uh, Trajan Bandy, who, who you know well from a highlight play in the Notre Dame game. Um, and then up front, uh, we, we lose a lot, but we, we brought a few guys in. A couple guys, We brought a transfer from Vatek from UCLA. Um, and then we have a stud in Jonathan Garvin, who um, hopefully will be um, – all signs are pointing to, to being an impact NFL guy, um, not not this year, but perhaps the year after that. Um, so on the defensive side of the ball, it's a, a couple new guys, but there's really no reason we shouldn't, after they get a couple games uh, under their belts, I think once we get into the midst of, of ACC play, there's no reason they shouldn't. So you mentioned how they stack up in the Coastal. The way I'm looking at it, I think they're one of three teams uh, that, that has a really good chance to win the Coastal. Each year you sort of shake up all the teams and, and you pour them out and see what comes out. But, you know, Virginia seems to be kind of the darling of all the media members and everyone going into to this season. You've got Virginia Tech, who's probably due for a bounce back uh, and with, with – uh, Bud Foster announcing that he's going to be retiring. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them playing some inspired defense. And then Miami, uh, you know, maybe arguably the best of, of those three teams that I think has a chance. So let's go through here, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run through their schedule, and I just want uh, uh, I'll give you a chance uh, at the end to to give a little more color. But as I say, each game I just want a one word uh, win or loss from you as I go through the schedule. Does that work for you? Let's do it. All right. Versus Florida. Loss. At North Carolina. Win. Home versus Bethune-Cookman. Win. Home versus Central Michigan. Win. Home versus Virginia Tech. Win. Home versus Virginia. Loss. Uh, home versus Georgia Tech. Win. At Pittsburgh. Win. At Florida State. Loss. Uh, home versus Louisville. Win. At uh, Florida International. Win. And at Duke. Win. Okay, nine and three, which actually I, you know, someone who was more prepared than I am would have had his spreadsheet open up so that, so that I could have compared because I'm a weirdo I, that does I think, you, I think you said you had nine and three. I do have nine and three, and oh my goodness, we have the exact, oh no, you said loss at FSU. I I said loss at Pitt. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have I have almost the same outcomes as you. Uh, any so nine and three. Whether or not that would be good enough, and all uh, two of those losses in conference. So yeah, that so would a couple couple quick thoughts. Yeah, if, if I can. So um, not expecting much against against Florida. Just I just think it's a tough matchup. I know they have some question marks as well, but. Um, the UNC game, like they should, they should really stink. It is still the first, it's first game. It's it's under the lights, and and it's the first game for Mac Brown, so it won't be easy. But I think we'll be ready to go after a bye. Yeah, after they, the Florida they game. should stink. We we should cruise in the next two, um, and then we have a bye before Vatek, which is why I gave that one the win. Um, that said, I just think one and one versus Vatek and Virginia back to back makes sense. Um, Georgia Tech should stink. We should take care of them, and then it was the same kind of thing. I think it, we'll go one and one at Pitt at FSU, and it was just a matter of kind of which one I gave it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those last three games, I think things should be fine. I mean, at Duke, you never know, but I think without Daniel Jones, they, they should take a step back and not be in the three-team race that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. 
All righty, that's, that's everything I, I wanted to cover. You gave a comprehensive look at the Hurricanes there. Anything you want to say uh, to the listeners before signing off? Uh, no, excited for another season, and uh, really, really appreciate the time. All righty. Uh, thank, uh, thank you for joining me. Go Kings. All right, I am now joined by Corey Shapiro, uh, a graduate of the of Syracuse University, and he yes, is here. To, he is here to talk about uh, the Orange coming off uh, their ten and three season in Dino Babers' third season, capped off by a decisive win in the Camping World Bowl. Corey, welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks a lot, Steve. First time, long time. Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. Um, so, Syracuse. Um, a lot of people they 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 caught a lot of people's attention uh, when they played Clemson close. Obviously, two years ago they beat them. Uh, last year they played them close as that first game after Kelly Bryant left the team and Trevor Lawrence went down. I remember it as like a fever dream because I had stayed up all night. Uh, watching the Ryder Cup, and that was sort of the game that I was falling asleep during. Um, but you know, they were they were really steady all year. Um, you know, obviously a really strong offense. Uh, Dino Babers known for that. Um, sure. Then got you know, I I I, I got to say it got exposed by Notre Dame uh, later in the season, <laughs> but then bounced uh, back uh, bounced back strong. Uh, win at Boston College. And, uh, and beating West Virginia, as I mentioned, the Camping World Bowl. So, uh, what can we take? Uh, what can we take from last year and put it into this year? Who who did Syracuse lose that's going to be important? And uh, who are some newcomers or or some role players last year that should be stepping up uh, to be to be uh, contributors this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the the key loss for us was Eric Dungy. He was our quarterback, uh, three year starter. Um, kind of grew up in the Babers system. He was with him for two years, and he provided a lot of consistency. Um, you know, he had a great uh, eye for running the ball, and he was a really consistent passer. Um, you know, fortunately, our incoming quarterback, Tommy DeVito, was, you know, Babers' first recruit, and he's a four-star recruit out of Don Bosco, New Jersey, and he certainly looks like he had a take the mano from Dungy is just, you know, it's probably the uh, biggest transition for us in terms of um, taking the next step in our uh, program's uh, future. So I think uh, DeVito's development is probably the most important piece of this offseason. Besides that, um, Andre Sisco is returning. He's a all-American safety He's a really excellent player. He had seven interceptions last year. Um, we're also returning our whole defensive line. Alton Robinson, um, Kendall Coleman's a linebacker who each had 10 sacks and will definitely provide the defense with a lot of uh, firepower. And, um, you know, we're just really it's tough because this year we are we, – we have expectations. You know, the, yeah. since uh, – since, um, since I've been a fan of Syracuse, we've had no expectations. So I think this is going to be a different season because um, we're coming in with a lot of expectations. We are, pre- we are ranked, uh, I think, 22nd in the first coaches poll. So it's going to be a little different for us in terms of um, how we're going to approach the season. Yeah, I mean, 
you, you mentioned Eric Dungy, and God bless that kid because I, I just hope he's <laughs> I hope he's far away from a football field because he's he's had enough concussions for for one career. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. He actually was uh, recently caught, and I think he's coming back to uh, pursue his degree. So, um, yeah, he had a, he had one too many concussions, unfortunately, but he's powered through them, and he you know he led us to that Camping World Bowl win, which was really uh, crucial for this program going forward. And how can you not be excited when your new quarterback shares a name with with one of the four seasons? So that's <laughs> uh, that's certainly good as well. So. Before we get into expectations for the season, you, you and, and you mentioned having expectations for the first time. You know, Syracuse is not. You know, there, there's certainly a, a, there's a proud history there um, between Ernie Davis and, and Donovan McNabb and all you know several several players. Um, but you know, they're not one of the the top. They're not really, I'd say, in the top half of the Power Five in terms of. Uh, a destination job for a head coach. So with potential rumors circulating around a guy like Dino Babers all season, as if, if if Syracuse does well, I'll cut to the chase, if Syracuse does well, there's going to be a lot of talk that Dino Babers is going to be a candidate for a bigger job. As a fan, how do you sort of reconcile with that, with, you know, obviously wanting the team to do well and to win every game, but knowing that, that each win makes your coach more attractive uh, for another job? It's tough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Syracuse used to be a destination school. Um, since we moved to the ACC, we have been on the back burner, but we finished second last year to Clemson. Um, you know, in, in most other years, we would have been in uh, in the Orange Bowl, but just due to the scheduling, we since the Orange Bowl was a playoff game, we couldn't play in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's definitely difficult. You want, you're rooting for Coach Babers. I love him. I love his attitude. I love the way that he's transformed this program. Um, but it's tough because, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of, could be a lot of job over next year, like, you know, potentially USC if they don't do as well this year and maybe an SEC job. Um, but, you know, you have to root for, for your coach to be successful and ultimately whatever comes of it will come of it. You know, you have to, it's, it's difficult in these days because a lot of there's a lot of uh, turnover, a lot of transition. Um, but um, Dino has really stated, and he just got a contract extension, I think, last year. Um, and he stated that he's really happy being at Syracuse, and he really likes being in the dome, and he it, it suits his offense well. So you know, just have to. Make make sure that we can provide the best accommodations for him to be successful, and ultimately see what happens. Yeah, he's actually a guy. I, I have to remind myself that he's 58 years old because he, he, <laughs> he seems, you know, younger, and, and therefore he seems more like an up and comer. He, he has a young, he has a young soul. Yeah, <laughs> so, so he seems like more of a, an up and comer that's going to be looking to jump. But who knows? Maybe he's comfortable uh, there in Syracuse, and and maybe he would be willing to uh, to stick around longer. Yeah, I think you know. Having one ten and three season is obvious for Syracuse was obviously amazing. Building on that and being consistent and having that year in and year out is something that we've been lacking, and I think it's something that he's kind of looking to maintain. So I I don't know what his mindset is going forward. I mean, he's said that he's committed to the program, so you have to take his word for it. That being said, spent two years at Eastern Illinois, spent two years at Bowling Green. So, you know, already going into his fourth year at Syracuse, this will be his longest tenure. So 
So that's one thing to keep in mind. Moving on to uh, the 2019 season. So same thing uh, I'm doing with everyone here. I'm gonna run down. Uh, I'm gonna run down the schedule. I'm just gonna ask for a one-word, uh, either win or loss answer from you. I'll uh, after after we go through the thing, uh, I'll, I'll let you add some more color. But uh, just just win or loss as I go through the schedule here. All right. All right. Excellent. Let's do it. At liberty. I say win. That's more than one word. Let's try to keep it tight. Uh, at Maryland. Win. Clemson. Loss. Uh, Western Michigan. Win. Holy Cross. Win. At North Carolina State. Loss. Pittsburgh. Win. At Florida State. Loss. Boston College. Win. At Duke. Win. At Louisville. Win. Wake Forest. I think we win that one, too. We've got the exact same outcome for Syracuse, including the games that they win and the games that they lose. Um, <laughs> wow, so, pretty impressive. Yeah, maybe we should just do uh, do the the effective money line parlay and just you know take start with start with Liberty and roll it over each week. Well, they they started off as as over under five and a half. And yeah, I mean that's jumped up pretty quickly, and it's yeah. I, I haven't seen it below seven and a half anywhere. I still think it's a good number uh, if you want if you want that over, but this podcast has not been the best. I think we're one one and one in uh, in my three in my three season long over unders. Uh, so so not my forte there. Um, yeah, I mean, we're looking at another nine and three season, another, uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the ACC is going to be interesting this year. I think, uh, I think the Coastal is going to have more teams at the top, uh, than it usually does. And obviously Clemson, uh, sitting there in the Atlantic. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if nine and three gets them into a top tier bowl. Um, but certainly the ACC has plenty of options. Uh, so probably we're looking at a similar season to next year. Um, and, and you feel the same way. What? What's your overall sentiment on the year, and and what you know what constitutes success? Yeah, I think, and you and I discussed this off air. Um, you know, I think the first couple games are going to really dictate our season. We start off with two road games, and then the, obviously the big game against Clemson, ABC, seven thirty, um, homecoming week three is going to really dictate our season. But you know, the remainder of the schedule, it's a lot of toss up games. I you know, it's like it's tough to determine. Um, you know, whether these teams are going to be good. You know, I, I Florida State, you know, they had a rough season last year, but they can, you know, turn around pretty quickly. Boston College had a really successful season last year. Um, but who knows what their status is. I think uh, Duke the same way. I think a lot of the teams in the ACC are kind of at a turning point, and, you know, I think some teams will um, – ultimately build on the success that they had last year and I think a lot of teams will you know fall back and won't be as successful so I think it's just a matter of you know getting the home wins I think is going to be really crucial for us you know I think um, the first game is Clemson might be tough obviously you know them they're a very strong team Trevor Lawrence is um, certainly going to be one of the top Heisman candidates um, but after that we get Western Michigan and Holy Cross I really think we need to take advantage and win both those games, and I think ultimately that will dictate the second half of our season and will really determine whether we're going to have another strong, successful season. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, you're right. I think those first two games, uh, I think they really need to start 2-0. Uh, Liberty, you know, shouldn't 
shouldn't be great, but Hugh Freeze is the head coach there, so certainly not your your average. Uh, and they're not FCS anymore. They they did make a right. jump up to FBS, so so not quite your run in the mill, you know, absolute cupcake. And then at Maryland, uh, a lot going on uh, in the off season with that team and a new head coach there, and a lot of turnover, but certainly some talent there as they've beaten Texas uh, in recent years. So those are crucial. Uh, I think you've done a great job laying out what to expect from from Syracuse this season, and uh, I, I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, anytime, Steve. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, thanks. All right, joining me now to discuss the Florida State Seminoles is uh, is Matt Gold. Matt, thank you for joining the Scoop and Score podcast. Appreciate you having me on, Steve. Absolutely. Pleasure. Absolutely. First time, first timer here. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of first timers uh, this this week. So excited to have everyone aboard. Now, speaking of first timers, oh, talk about that for a segue. Uh, Willie Taggart uh, coming off his first season as the Florida State head coach, a five and seven season, one that most uh, Florida State fans would want to forget. Um, let's let's just jump right into it. What? would be a successful season in Willie Taggart's second year? Yeah, so I think, you know, you've got to take a couple of steps back here. You have to keep in mind that Willie Taggart came into a program um, installing a completely new offense here, and you're going to have to anticipate that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve uh, when you're moving, you're transitioning from a pro style to a spread. Uh, you know, it wasn't a smooth transition. Um, but with that in mind, Guy completely revamps the offensive side, his offensive coaching staff, um, and we bring in what I think is one of the best offensive minds in the game um, at offensive coordinator. And I think, um, you know, really what, what success is going to mean is, you know, A, shoring up the offensive line. Uh, you have a group that has just been beaten down, but Kendall Bryles, our offensive coordinator, brought in a new coach as well at the, that offensive line, who, you know, pretty much has a new um, kind of refreshing approach to coaching, which is more through encouragement, less so kind of the grind, grind you down mentality, more so, more so coaching through encouragement. And I think this guy's gonna gonna turn around for us. So. So, A, it's shoring up the offensive line. Look, we don't have to be a great offensive line. We've got to be average. Um, you know, we're getting the ball out quickly in the spread to our playmakers to take plays. So, you don't have to be great there. you gotta, you, you got to be average. And it certainly can't be much worse. So, that's A. Um, and then, B, I think it's just having players buy in. You know, you have a group of guys who felt betrayed from prior coach Jimbo Fisher, who basically makes a lateral move. Texas A&M. Uh, He's being paid $75 million. I, you know. Sure, sure. But it's, it's a lateral move, no matter how you slice it. And I think these guys felt betrayed. And I think, frankly, there's a bit of a hangover effect last year from that. So, um, you know, I think having guys fully buy into the culture and the program, um, which I think we're starting to see happen this year in the offseason. And um, if those two things can really happen, I think we're going to see a much improved now, I appreciate you giving me qualitative reasons behind uh, measures of success because uh, too often I, I think people can ignore those kind of factors. But 
do you have a record in mind for for what that should accumulate to that not necessarily a prediction but what should be viewed as as a successful year for Taggart? You know, as I look at the schedule, there's really there's one sure loss on the, on the schedule. That's at Clemson. The rest, all of other games, we should at least be competitive in. I think you're probably if you can see nine wins, I think that's that's a successful season. Anything really short of that, with this year being a much softer looking schedule, I think is going to be a failure in Willie Taggart's mind. So I think you got to get nine, and maybe you can sniff double-digit wins with, uh, you know, either either taking out Florida or, or Miami. Um, and is, is there a number where you would be in favor of firing Taggart after just his second year? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to play that game after only two years. Um, but I think, I think the guy is feeling the heat. You know, Tallahassee, a winning culture, and you got You got to win ball games. I think really anything less than eight wins. I think this guy's going to be in the hot seat, and I hate to say it because I think he's. I, I, you know, I, I want this guy to be successful. I think he will be, but you got You got to get. You got to get eight wins in there. You got to find a way to grind out eight. All right, so now let's let's get into what to expect from the team. Uh, you, you got into it a little bit talking about the offensive line. But what what can we expect? I know uh, I know James Blackman is back. DeAndre Francois is out. You brought in Alex Hornibrook at quarterback from Wisconsin. So what's what's the quarterback race shaping out to look like? And uh, and really just what what should uh, we expect expect Florida State to look like this year? Yeah. So I mean, the guy at quarterback is James Blackman. Um, you know, he's he's got the experience. He was thrown into into the fire as a true freshman. Um, he's played in big games. He's he's taken hits, and and frankly, has he gained any weight? He has. He's, he's put on some. He's put on some good weight. He's put on some good weight. Um, still skinny. Still skinny. But uh, he's definitely put on some good weight in the offseason. It's always good when the weight is good. I you know sometimes the guys put on bad weight and it's just it ruins them. You know they uh, they, they serve good good fried chicken down in Tallahassee. So um, I guess that I guess that would not be good weight, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, Boy. So, so transitioning off of that one, um, yeah, Blackman's the guy. You know, he's he's going to be a player that that the guys are going to want to frankly play for. I don't think Francois was that leader that that the offensive side of the ball was looking for. Um, so he, you know, I think you're going to have a guy that that like, that guys on the offensive back side of the ball are going to want to play for. So that's that's crucial. Uh, at running back, you got a lot of depth there. Cam Akers, you got Kalen LeBourne, you got Anthony Grant, um, all guys that I think have NFL talent. Should you know, as, assuming the offensive line can find a little bit of room for them, should, you know, I think I think they're gonna we're gonna see the running back group shine this year. At wide receiver, you got you got Torian Terry, who you know is kind of under the radar. A little banged up in camp, if, if I'm not mistaken. Little little banged up. In have nothing to be too worried about, though. He'll be he'll be ready for, for week one, from my you know, from my from my sources inside. So okay. Uh, Always good to have sources. This guy this guy might be the best receiver in college football. So let's not uh let's not sleep on Torian Terry. Guy guy can guy can flat out ball. I I won't sleep on him, but I'm I'm confident in saying that he's not one of the two best receivers in his own division within his own conference. But we'll. We'll continue going from there. Let's uh, let's flip the 
guys, let's let the guys play on the field, and we'll, <laughs> and we'll, and we'll let that, we'll let that, uh, we'll let that play out as it may. Sure thing. Uh, so yeah, and then you know, again, off, on the offensive line, uh, you gotta, you gotta transfer Ryan Roberts. Yeah, you told, you told us about the line. It sounds like they might kind of stink, but maybe, maybe they'll be a little bit better. Yeah, so we'll see. And then on the defensive side of the ball, up the middle, Marvin Wilson, NFL talent for sure. Uh, Josh Kando on the edge. Now, look, you're trying to replace a guy in Brian Burns, who's first-round NFL talent. That's always going to be hard to do. But Kando can play. And he was a Notre Dame recruit. He was a, he briefly committed to Maryland, if I remember correctly. That sounds that sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, ended up in Tallahassee, though. Guy can play. Uh, so I like I like him. I like Jaden Woodby uh, at star position. You know, guys got a guys got this kind of dog mentality. No, not not every team uses the same uh, lingo. What is what is the star, which linebacker spot, or is it even a line? Is it like a drop end? What is it's the almost star? Like a drop, it's almost like an in the box type safety. All right. Linebacker hybrid. Um, so he was actually recruited as a safety. So it was a pretty natural natural kind of transition for him to, to kind of he likes he he wants to be in the box and make plays on the ball. So I, I like him a lot. At, you know, in the, in the secondary, you got Stanford Samuels, also probably NFL talent. And then you got a true freshman in Akeem Dent, who, by all indications from uh, from camp, is going to make, going to hopefully be able to play some balls. Do you want to give a hot take alert here? You got the opportunity. Hot take alert. I think Akeem Dent at corner is going to be top three, top three freshman corner. In all of college football. Not that hot a take. I, I think he was like he's one of the very top uh, cornerback recruits in the country this year. But okay, we'll we'll go with it. All right. So it sounds like a ton of NFL talent, uh, top to bottom. I would be surprised uh, based on that rundown if if Florida State didn't finish in the top five. Um, so now let's just go ahead and we'll, we'll talk about the schedule. And I'll, I'll give you a chance to uh, to fill it in with with some more detail after. But right now, I just I'm going to run game by game, and I want one word answers: win or loss. Can you do that? I could do that. All right, here we go. Uh, neutral site, but played in the state of Florida against Boise State. It's a win. I'll be at the game, so it's a win. Again, just one word, please. <laughs> um, Louisiana Monroe. Win. At Virginia. Win. Louisville. Win. North Carolina State. Win. At Clemson. It's a loss. At Wake Forest. It's a win. Syracuse. It's a win. Miami. It's a win. At Boston College. Loss. Alabama. Uh, Al- Al- I don't know if it's Alcorn State or Alabama State. Alcorn State. And at Florida. It's a win. Ten and two prediction from Matt Gold. I I've been doing quite a few of these. We have reached the largest discrepancy between your prediction and my prediction. I've got a five and seven year here for the Florida State Seminoles. Uh you know, we'll we'll have to see. I'm, I'm maybe we'll we'll have a little side wager on which of which of the two of us is closest to their uh, ultimate win total. Um, 
before I let you go, any any anything you wanted to say just about uh, the state of the program or, or really anything in general while you've got the mic? Yeah, I guess I'll say I, I do appreciate your efforts in bringing the ACC network to Spectrum. It's really, it was really <laughs> a group, group, and, group uh, effort. Thank you for what yeah, you did as well. It was, but I think that was a very, very crucial crucial thing that needed to happen, and we, could, we got it done, so... So kudos, kudos to all those involved out there. Absolutely, yeah, to all to all the doubters, we say we've got ACC Network now. Sure do. All right, anything else, or uh, or is that it? So, so all I got for you, Steve. I will I will say did a did a nice little steam room session at Equinox and forgot forgot it was 92 degrees outside. So I've just been profusely sweating since since that since that occurrence. Well, I'm sure the I'm sure the listeners are gonna. Are going to care to hear that? All right, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the show, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Take care. Okay, that'll do it for the ACC preview. Thanks again to all my guests. Thanks to you, the listener, and uh, be on the lookout. I think we'll have a Big Ten preview coming up later this week. Buckle up; it's going to be a great season. That concludes the scoop and score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.